0: This is Marketing Jam, a podcast featuring the brightest minds in Canadian marketing. Hi there. Welcome to Marketing Jam. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. The following interview is part of a series of interviews recorded at the Canadian Internet Marketing Conference in beautiful Squamish, B.C., where we had the chance to talk to some of the leaders in digital marketing and technology from Canada and around the world. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to Marketing Jam. Shahid Devji here, filling, filling in for Darian Kovacs, and I'm pleased to be joined by Duncan Thank Wardle. You. Yep. Uh, so, you're a, an innovation and design thinking consultant. Is that a, a good s- way to describe it? G-
1: sounds good.
0: <laughs> sounds good. But most notably, you've worked for Disney for a long time as a, as a vice president of innovation mm-hmm. and creativity, yep. which which is an awesome role, it sounds like. What, what is that? What did you do in that role? Can you encapsulate it?
1: So, Mad Ideas Are Us, that, yeah. that is, um, so uh, mm-hmm. I was in the head of global PR for like, 20-odd years, and I got a call from Chairman and said, you're the guy with all the big ideas, you're gonna be in charge of innovation and creativity. Was like, I was like, what the hell's that? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, don't know, figure it out. So. So we interviewed, or we did a survey, 5,000 people at Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilms. What were the barriers to being more innovative and creative inside a big organization? Number one, time to think. We don't give ourselves time to think. It's still the number one barrier. Number two, consumer insight was being underused, actually ignored by most of the organization. Very product-centric. We build it, they will come. It doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, three was we had no common definition around innovation creativity. Four was we're risk-averse because we have quarterly results, so we iterate versus innovate. And five was ideas got stuck, diluted, or killed as they moved through the organization. And so I was tasked with coming up with a design thinking toolkit that would push those barriers to the side. Right. It seems kind of
0: forward thinking with uh, you know, a company that's as big as Disney, and which I assume was you know, very successful because it has been for a while, to be able to... To point out these areas and, and say hey we need to uh, address these things is did that come as a surprise to you or was it always kind of part of the conversation?
1: No because I was always behind the curtain I think people think of Disney as very creative and there are certainly very creative areas of Disney uh, there's also some very uncreative like any big organization right most of us the challenge for most organizations is people work there too long and what it doesn't matter what you've done if you've done it for five years ten years 15, you're really good at it But if somebody, I call it your river of thinking, your river of expertise, but if somebody says, hey, step out of the river for a minute and think differently, that's really hard for most of us because our own expertise says, oh, no, because legal won't let me do it. It's not a strategic brand fit. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. And so we won't even consider new ideas because our river of thinking, our experience tells us that won't work. And it's about getting people, giving them the tools to get out of that river and think differently.
0: So Disney, at least some Disney products, are associated with the term the happiest place on earth. C- can you say that while you were working there that it, it is the happiest no. place on earth, that yeah. working there gives you that experience yeah, and that Look, feeling?
1: Even a really bad day, yeah. if, if you had a bad day, and you step out of your office and you go in the Magic Kingdom, watch the parade and have an ice cream, yeah. and everybody, the currency is smiles. Everybody's smiling. So um, I think my <laughs> the happiest place on earth. So we were looking for ideas for Disneyland's 50th anniversary. The actual anniversary was over, the media were like, leave us alone. I was like, no, we still have to get coverage. So we looked around, what else in the calendar did the American media have to cover even if they don't want to? Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and we found out that the President of the United States of America pardons a turkey on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I said, well, wait a minute, is that turkey the only turkey that survives? And they're like, yeah, pretty much. I said, well, wouldn't that make him the happiest turkey on earth? Everybody looks at me like, oh, don't even go there. So I phoned the White House, long story short, uh, the happiest turkey on Earth, went to the happiest place on Earth, as Grand Marshal in Disneyland's Thanksgiving Day Parade uh, for five years, with uh, Bush and Obama.
0: Yeah, and speaking of ideas, audacity is something that I've heard you talk about before, and that's you know that's one, calling up the president, two, sending Buzz Lightyear uh, up to, mm-hmm. to the space shuttle Discovery. Uh, how do you come up with those ideas, and, and can you do that when you're a smaller business who doesn't have access to the president, and NASA. See,
1: smaller businesses are more creative. Do you see Paris, has one tenth the size of the staff and the budget of Walt Disney World. Their ideas are ten times more creative. Uh, they have to be. Uh, I used to hire a lot of people from not-for-profits, because they're really good at being creative. They use OPM, other people's money. The, the less you've got, the more creative you are. I was in uh, the Diwali slum in Mumbai, about Dharavi slum, about six months ago, five million people living on top of each other what they create out of the trash that we throw away for free it doesn't cost them any money to make it they're making briefcases they're making uh uh, they've come up with this idea where you fill a plastic bottle right a lot of them don't have electricity right so they've they worked it don't ask me who figured it out if you take a plastic bottle of water and fill it half full of water create a small hole in your roof and stick the bottle through the roof the light hits the water and acts as a prism the lights up the hole in the inside of your house That's creativity, Creativity. so I would argue people with the big budgets and the big organizations find it harder to be creative than the smaller guys.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. why, why is it important to you to, to push boundaries and important for smaller businesses to push those boundaries and, and I guess how do you get out of the rut of thinking that you're, you're not able to if you're smaller?
1: See again I think smaller people have the bigger advantage because they're not stuck by Here's the thing, I worked for Ford for three months before Christmas. Yeah. Ford's biggest challenge, they know how to make a motor car. Yeah. They've got a hundred years of this is how we make a car and a hundred years tells them I need a steering wheel. Apple's moved in, Google's moved in, and they're saying, we don't know how to make a car. Hey, we're going to start from scratch, so it could be anything we want. That is a massive, Ford's processes, bureaucracy, expect their river of thinking tells them, this is what a car should look like. That's their biggest challenge. And so coming at it differently and being small, you thinking creatively. And so there are a couple of tools I talked about, about challenging the rules. List all the rules of your challenge as quickly as you can. Um, ask what if those rules didn't exist and imagine a world where they might. And so, you know, the founder of Netflix, uh, retastings, he listed all the rules of going to blockbusters. You had to be kind and rewind, had to drive to a physical store, never got the one you wanted on opening day weekend, had to pay late fees, and he said, what if there was no physical store? That was an absurd suggestion in 2005, but he just looked out He said, well, wait a minute, YouTube, well, they're already streaming content. They stream amateur content. I'm just going to stream professional content. I'm going to call it Netflix. You don't have to drive to a physical store. You get the one you want opening day weekend. You don't have to pay a late fee because I've cut the rental off at 24 hours. Uh, he took it to Blockbusters five times. They turned him down five times. He took him out in five years. It could be um, as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Look, innovation was trendy five years ago. Now it's about survival. Uh, I talked about the, uh, the opening of the Olympic Games and drones replacing fireworks, five years. Fireworks industry didn't see it coming, and now you have, you know, for Disney, he spends hundreds of thousands of dollars a night on fireworks, wait, I could do the fireworks again tomorrow? Wait, and the day after that, the day after that, day, and they're environmentally friendly, but wait, there's no noise pollution, so I could show them in Paris, I can't do fireworks in Paris today, because people could play, but wait, I could make it Buzz Lightyear shaped or Tinkerbell shaped? Bang, fireworks industry gone. Now you talk yeah, not, about yeah, just, someone doing
0: something a certain way, the Olympics oh, yeah. have done things a certain way for yeah, as long as you can think, a, right?
1: Stanley, Black and Decker make tools. But with 3D printing, when we, five years from now, would go on to Amazon, chip, coffee cup, table, chair, print, I'll buy the patent. I'm going to print it at home. Well, what will I use a tool for five years from now? Artificial intelligence is going to rip up. MBAs will be worthless in less than five years. Entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs, different ways of thinking, coming at it from a point of view that I don't have all this experience is a massive advantage.
0: Kodak's a great example of that. <laughs> you laugh, right? And yeah, I mean, they, they, they fought innovation mm-hmm. and creativity for a long time, thinking that it's yeah. not necessary. Yeah, they've been kind of catching up ever since. Yeah. What,
1: what are some examples of, of companies and
0: businesses today that you think, are doing innovation and creativity well in a time that you say, you know, you're just trying to survive a lot of the time?
1: Small startups. I mean, yeah. they're all coming out. They don't trust corporate world, because uh, corporate world has turf, so they're starting their own industries, uh, It's because it's, corporations, are a t- hundred years of experience show you how to make something. And somebody says, have you thought about it this way? Oh, we can't do it that way. We've always done it this way. That, the challenge is for the bigger brands, I will tell you that companies that you and I have grown up with, that we think are unassailable will go under in the next 10 years because artificial intelligence is going to rip them up. Um, companies, as I mean, Ford's biggest challenge is they know how to make a car. That's a massive challenge for Ford. Now I've got somebody else. Also, it's about, it's about having a purpose. Millennials don't want to work for companies that don't have a purpose. People don't want to buy your... Pur- and a purpose is not a cause. It's not phil- philanthropy. It's what do you stand for? What gives you the right to sell me a product? So, up until today, Coca-Cola, very successful company. What's their why? To sell sugary drinks to people to make them obese or, or diabetic uh, to, for quarterly results. Do I think Coca-Cola will be under threat 10 or 15 years from today? Hell yeah, yes they will. Because they don't have a why. They don't have a purpose. And companies that don't have a purpose, if it's quarterly results, you're gone. Because the next generation won't stand for it.
0: Yeah, and if you look at Coke's marketing, they're they're trying to tell you that they, they do have a purpose, that yes. happiness is the purpose and, and supporting right. people is the purpose, but at the end of the day, I that's mean, a marketing the, 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 the product <laughs> is still the product. And, yeah, I mean and can they get around that is the uh, question. I think they
1: probably can they're very smart people, I think they can. But companies who don't find their why. So for example, um, Apple versus Dell, right? Dell started right. from the outside in. Dell said We make electronic products, right? Uh, How do we do it? We've got great technologies. Why do we do it to make money? Apple started from the inside out. Why do we do it? We want to challenge the status quo and help you to think different. How do we do it? We've got great technicians. What do we make? We make really cool products. But they started from the inside Apple has built a culture, a purpose, a why. People buy Apple products who don't really know whether or not they're any better than the Dell computer. They're buying the Starbucks. Starbucks coffee. Worst on planet, but their yeah. community that they've created, their why, their purpose is brilliant. Yeah. People are buying into Starbucks; they're not buying the coffee.
0: No, they're not. <laughs> and so, right?
1: So, um, and they, just for the record, my name is D U N C A N, not D U N K I N. I'm just teasing. Um, but they have a why; they have a purpose, uh, and that will serve them well in the future. Yeah.
0: Switching gears a little bit, you talked about working in global PR for for, for Disney. Um, PR, maybe when you worked in it for Disney, it was a lot different than it is today. Or, or was it? Maybe explain the differences you see today.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, so, I always so when I was very young, I got to work in advertising, and this was my opinion, nobody else's. I thought advertising got what they wanted because they paid for it. Promotions got 50% of what they wanted because they were giving something away. PR was the ability to walk in the door and go sell it. Yeah. But PR has always been about influence. It used to be I would get a reporter to talk about my product. Now it's about getting individuals to talk about my product. Right. And again, if you have a why, and people sign up for your why, you can advertise all you want at people. But I'm talking at you, right? And yeah, I'm going to overcome your barriers. No, you're not. And so, uh, but if they hear it from somebody else, then yeah. I, I mean, social influence will continue to grow and get. You know, and again, people are using. Um, Content, content creation. Could somebody create good content, not strategic content? I'm fed up of seeing boring content in my social feeds. Uh, just it's bo- yes, it, it meets their brand strategy tick-off list. Do I engage in it? No. It's annoying. I hit report spam. Um, make it engaging. Make it fun. Make it. It just why make why spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on creating boring strategic content? I just. It's it's about moving away from we build it they will come, yeah. product centric to a consumer centric standpoint. And a lot of companies are still struggling with moving from a product centric culture to a consumer centric culture because most of their executives have never met a consumer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I work in the business of creating content for our agency, and um, you know, strategy is, is very linked with, with what I'm doing. But you know, as a creator, you know, I yeah. want to tell the best story all the time. Yeah. What would you say to so, to,
1: to the I, people in charge yeah. of, about the story being important? Story is everything. So we had uh, four brand architectural firms come to pitch for the future of what Downtown Disney would, could, would, or could become. Boy, I learned a lesson in storytelling that The first three companies in the door had spent easily somewhere between fifty and hundred thousand dollars on their presentation, whether it was models, holograms, uh, and they all came in looking super slick, right? And they each showed an architectural concept of what this could look like, right? the fourth person up. He came by himself. No keynote, no PowerPoint, no models, no hologram, nothing. He just stood up. He was quite a large guy. It looked like Father Christmas. Big beard, ruddy face. And he goes, close your eyes. I want to tell you a story about a place called Disney Springs, where Walt met Lillian in 1924. And he told this story for four minutes. People were crying. He was like, and everybody knew intuitively, that's the one we're going with. And that told me that day the power was, no visuals, no strategy. No, there was strategy. But it was about the story and yeah. embedding that story. Yes, it had a strategic input, but it was about telling a story. And, uh, and the reaction story. to the story. Well, it appeals to us as humans, it appeals to a different part of the brain than, than brand strategy, for example. Purchasing decisions. When was the last time you made a strategic purchase decision? When you're buying a car, when you're buying your coffee, when you're buying a computer, we don't make strategic. We make emotional decisions. I, I align. I have an affinity with that brand because I believe in their cause. I'm buying. We make. Emotional purchasing decisions, but we don't tell emotional stories. Yeah,
0: you talked about Apple being the best at that yeah. these days. You know, how far can you push that? I mean, when, when, where's the, the balance? You you obviously have to have a good product to go along with
1: it, right? You just have to resonate with consumers. Yeah. I think you have to come at it from their point of view. We uh, did a project for Disneyland Paris. Our coming yeah. in hypothesis was we wanted to get more, more people to come. Uh, if we spend millions of dollars on new product, they will come. So we spent time with our consumers. And I was in, uh, I believe massively in the power of intuition, by the way. Um, intuition is much more powerful than people give it credit for. We were in, I was in this lady's house, and I, uh, she was just chatting about her holidays and where she went, etc. cetera. And um, I noticed a picture on her, mant- now don't forget, our going in hypothesis is, we spend millions of dollars on new product, they will come. Do you have children?
0: Do I have children? I do have two. Yeah. Okay, so now close your eyes. Okay. I suppose.
1: So, uh, think about your house, somewhere in your house, probably on your bedside table, maybe on a mantelpiece in your living room, there's a picture of your children somewhere, right? So, look at that picture and tell me, with your eyes closed, tell me where is the picture?
0: Where is, what, the where what's in your, in the picture? Yeah, where is it? Where in my house? Yeah. Uh, it's on the living room wall. Okay, you can see it, right?
1: Yeah. Okay, what's the frame look like? The framing? Yeah.
0: It's it's the two babies looking at each other. They're filling up the entire frame, facing each other.
1: And how old are they in the picture? Two months? Okay, and how old are they today?
0: It's 18 months.
1: Okay, so open your eyes. So here's what we found. I, same thing. I asked the lady, I said, oh, how old are your children? Four or five? She goes, oh, no, dear, they're 14 or 15. 26 houses later, we found the same clue. When we asked how old the children were in the picture frame, they were anywhere from five to 15 years older than the photograph. You thought, well, what's going on here? Yeah. So we went back and dug a bit deeper and what we found is um, parents will tell you they want their children to go up, go to kindergarten, learn to read and write, learn how to be in the school, play, play the recorder, don't go to the recorder, recycling you have a choice <laughs> by the way. Um, they go to middle school, high school, university, graduate, get a job, be happy, healthy, that's what we want for our kids right? Or is it? Or do we actually want to keep them in that little photo frame, when we walk in the door at night, you're, they're still too young for you, yeah. but my, I'm jealous, because when you walk in the door at night, they giggle, they smile, they're probably a bit young to wrestle with your legs so far, but they will. You will come in dressed as Superman in their eyes, and you're gonna giggle, you'll roll around on the floor together. When I walk in the door now, if the dog grunts, I'm like, oh, right, I'm home, <laughs> welcome. Um, I exist, right? What, yeah. So we want we want to put them back in that frame, which is why we love our grandchildren, because they're back in the frame. And so we pushed a bit harder, and here's what we found. And I'm going to break your heart. to your boys or girls? Two boys. Okay. So, OK, so I'll only break your heart twice. So, so <laughs> um, there are three bittersweet transitions that take place between a parent and a child. Once you cross that transition, you can't go back. You both want to, but you can't. Um, I remember. Now, these are women telling me the story. But I'm a dad. I'm using my intuition. And, um, I remember exactly where I was for the first one. My son was 10. It was in Monterrey, Mexico. It was Christmas Eve. He comes around the corner of the bedroom. His eyes, you know when you're, well, you're too young, uh, your children are too young. When children have their eyes half full of tears, they're just half there and they're just about to fly. I was like, are you Father Christmas? I was
0: like, I was, like, oh.
1: I was just about to lie. And he said, "Mummy said, you are. I was like, oh, Batman, Superman, with clouds, creativity. Imagine, what he just said was, I'm growing up, Dad. That's what he just, it broke my heart. And second one, and again, these are women telling me the stories. And she said, uh, I I remember where, I can tell you where I was. I was outside Michael's department store, Kissimmee, Florida. I was on the curbside of the pavement, and it was my left hand she dropped for the first time in public anymore when she was 13, because she didn't want to hold daddy's hand in public anymore, because it was embarrassing. And I haven't had it back since, and it hurt. And if if girls ask that, ask your fathers. (laughs) Where were you when you dropped his hand for the first time? I guarantee you, he will tell you. He'll know exactly where he was, and he'll know which hand you dropped, so go home and hold his hand. So, so um, and the last one was when we dropped off at college for the first time. We hugged, we cheered, we laughed, and we got in the car and cried our eyes out. So, going in hypotheses was, let's spend millions of dollars on new product, they will come. Coming in hypotheses was, mum doesn't wake up in the morning on a Tuesday, on a wet Tuesday in London, go, hmm, do you know, I wonder if Disneyland Paris is going to have a new product this year? Wah. She wakes up thinking how quickly her children are growing up and how she wants to make special memories for them while they still believe, while they still hold my hand, while they're still here. So instead of spending millions of dollars on a new product, I didn't spend any money. Oh, well, a concept. Uh, yes, I created a communication campaign. Three segments. Parents and small children, while they still believe, Parents are a dad of a tween girl, while she still hold your hand. Parents of older children, while they're still there. We increased visitation, not intent to visit, by 18 percentage Yeah. Just by getting out and spending a day outside of a focus group, outside of research, in their house. Focus groups, when you do focus groups, most companies invite in mom or dad, boyfriend or girlfriend. When you ask a dad, what do you do at Disney World? They're gonna go, oh, well, I play golf and drink beer because I'm a manly man. If their wife is sitting next to them, she's going to go, Oh, no, dear, um, you did Small World 17 times back to back last year and loved it. And you get real honesty out of couples because they self police each other, but you don't get out of individuals. When you're in their house, you will see things that data can't tell you. So, data told us if you earn $100,000 a year or more on uh, salary, you could afford a Walt Disney World vacation. Therefore, we're going to pump a lot of money into Manhattan advertising. Did it for 10 years. And then, I walked into an apartment somebody in Manhattan. What's the first thing you notice? Yeah, there's, nothing, there's nothing yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Why? 80% of their income goes on rent. Right. So can they afford a real vacation? No. Big data got it wrong. So big data is going to get faster, more intuitive, and more informed. But it's about matching qual, qual with quant and spending a day with your con- The insights you'll get from spending a day with your consumer those are insights for innovation as opposed to iteration.
0: I think that's a great place to end. Anything else you want to add about uh, innovation, creativity? Any lasting words of advice?
1: Take risks or go out of business.
0: It is as simple as that. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Thanks to meet you too. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time.